0: Amen. Please be seated. Those of you who are worried about the ceiling, it's not that bad. It's helped. Uh, We still have several tweaks we will make, uh, but this was the major area to cover. We had some acoustical resolution to to cover over the last uh, few weeks as we've just come into the new sanctuary. For those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, new visitors. Uh, So we're getting very close. We're happy with the progress, but we're being very careful to make sure we maintain the wonderful sound we do have, yet make uh, speaking more audible and more intelligible. Brothers and sisters, we have come to hear the Word of God as part of our time of worship, so let us turn to Titus chapter 2. You have an insert that contains the verses in focus today, but also you will see an outline there attached with it. The letter of Paul to Titus represents a divinely inspired set of instructions for a young pastor who was left in Crete to set into order a new church, a church that was out of order to some degree. Uh, new believers filled that place, and Titus was left there to help set it in order. And the first thing Titus was instructed to do, which we should note, is to appoint qualified elders to be under-shepherds of the great good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And so his first endeavor was to find qualified men and appoint uh, them to that office. And also, he warned against erroneous teaching that would creep in, as specifically legalism and the way it would creep into a church's life and, and change our focus from Christ and his sufficiency to rules and things that we can keep that somehow we might imagine make us more acceptable to God. He corrects this and says that we must guard against such error in erroneous teaching and teachers in the church. Now, Titus comes uh, to instruction from Paul that helps him to be specific about what groups in the church should understand, should learn. And he breaks it down very simply, older believers and younger believers. This week we'll focus on older believers, but we'll see them connected in continuing next week with younger believers. But first, today, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Here as I read God's holy, inspired, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient word, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women, to love their husbands and children. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this message that gives us the truth. Lord, some of this rubs against popular culture, but Lord, help us to recognize how poorly popular culture is doing and recognize the timelessness of what you have revealed to us today. Pray, Lord, that you would encourage the older brothers and sisters in our midst, encourage the younger brothers and sisters to be teachable, to look to the examples you have placed in our midst. Help us, Lord, to bring glory to Jesus by what we hear and how we are changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Billions of dollars are spent today to stave off the effects of time. But we are actually living in an era with more older people than ever before. John MacArthur notes in his comments about These verses that we are currently living in the oldest society in the history of the world. And the statistics bear out this as fact. There has never been a society with a higher percentage of older people. This is true in the church as well. One observer says that material comfort, medical care, and a low birth rate have led America to what is called the grain of America. Do you know that the number of people over 65 now outnumbers the amount of teenagers we have? There are 23 million teenagers in our country. There are over 32 million people who have advanced past the age of 65. You know, on one hand, it's sad that Americans are having less children. We are systematically aborting an entire generation on the altar of convenience. But more innocently, and more closer to home, American families are deciding to have less children, and in many cases also for matters of convenience. Now such a discussion is important, but it's meant for a different sermon. Maybe I'll have Pastor Nathan preach on that. (laughs) But on the other hand, with so many older people in our country, and in the church, there is a tremendous opportunity. ...for effective discipleship ministry between the older generation and the younger generation. If the older generation will take its responsibility seriously and biblically... ...and if the younger generation would be teachable... ...and listen and look to and appreciate what the older generation can teach us... ...and will teach us. We learn from these verses in the opening of chapter 2... ...that the godly conduct of older Christians becomes the model and the foundation for ministry to the younger generation in the church. Now, as a sort of preface to what specifics Paul will give Titus, look at verse 1, because we learn something that connects all the book together, all the teaching of Paul to Titus, in this simple verse, verse 1, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So, Before he launches into specifics about teaching certain groups, certain things, he reminds Titus that he is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, sound doctrinal teaching will lead to godly conduct. Remember this as you go forth and teach specifics. That's what he's telling Titus. Look at verse one closely. But as for you, now this is in opposition to the erroneous teachers that he ends with in chapter one. So he says, for you, unlike The erroneous teachers who teach wrongly. Titus, for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here's the key phrase. Teach what accords or goes with sound doctrine. Sound means healthy or wholesome doctrine. Accurate doctrine, that which God reveals, true doctrine. Speak what is fitting to sound teaching. Now this is important. He's not saying just teach doctrine and let it float in work through people, he's saying teach doctrine and teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, application of that doctrine. I've heard well-meaning people say, my job as a preacher or teacher is just to give people doctrine, just to give them the word of God and that God, the Holy Spirit, he is responsible for application. But I would suggest that this verse says something totally different. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. It doesn't say teach with doctrine and then just it'll happen. Teach what accords, application to the doctrine also. So the job of the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, the mom and the dad is to teach doctrine and then how we live it out. Do you know, if this were not the case, why on earth would you come and listen to me? I wouldn't even come and listen to me. I would get some British guy reading Calvin sermons if I just wanted doctrine or just an exposition of a text that was not related to a specific time. I wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't offend me by saying you wouldn't either. I'd listen to Jonathan Edwards. I'd get a British guy again to read Jonathan Edwards' sermons. Or James Earl Jones, one or the other. I'd rather listen to Spurgeon. I've got his sermons. I've read his sermons. He's way better than I am. Donald Gray Barnhouse. That's a preacher you ought to be spending your time listening to rather than Tony, Nathan. See, the reason why we continue to need preaching afresh in every generation is because as sound and solid doctrinally as Calvin was in the 16th century, he lived in the 16th century. As sound and as wonderful as Jonathan Edwards was, he lived in the 18th century, colonial America, Spurgeon in 19th century England, Barnhouse in 20th century urban Philadelphia. The point is the doctrine is the same. It never changes. It's the Bible. But the application is different based on the context. These guys are phenomenal, but they had no idea what a television was. They didn't know what the internet was. They didn't fly on airplanes. Uh, They didn't have iPods. They didn't have video games. They didn't have all the various things that require us to think afresh about doctrine and how it applies. So he says to Titus, and he says to every generation after, teach what accords with sound doctrine, and we need it in every generation. The doctrine doesn't change. It's sound. It's healthy. It's what it always is. But what accords with it will look different in each generation. As believers, we can plumb the depths of who God is by what he has revealed in his word. We should feed upon healthy doctrine, sound teaching, meat of the word. But connected to the ingestion of sound doctrine is the opportunity to show the beauty of the truth about Christ in our practical everyday living. Paul says to Titus, help the brothers and sisters live out the doctrine we're teaching. That's why we labor. And you know, brothers and sisters, this is the... very reason why we have home fellowship groups not just for you to come in and jest, but for you to go into homes and specifically address the question how can i apply what was preached what was taught our home fellowship group leader started the, full, the whole time together by saying because last week's sermon spoke of legalism and our need to be careful of it not let's bash who is a legalist out there but how can we understand how this creeps into our understanding of god Very practical question. We all had to wrestle with that for our time of discussion together. So we start this portion on age-specific instruction with a reminder of the importance of doctrine and the need to apply it. Now we move to this instruction. Look at verse 2 as he begins with older men. Older men, we see in verse 2, are to be models of mature spirituality. Uh, You'll see that modeling and mentoring requires two parties. Older believers willing and younger believers who are teachable. Verse 2 says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, the obvious question is, who's an older man? Well, anyone who's 15 years older than I am. That's who an older man is. (laughs) Right? By the way, that's getting closer and closer, it seems. Uh, The best way to probably understand this is through the Jewish uh, philosopher and historian Philo, who lived at the same time this book is being written. Uh, He wrote in some of his works, reference to men who are over the age of 50, close to 60. So somewhere in that time frame, you begin to be considered an older man. Doesn't mean you're an old man, just an older man. But this is important, and it's a dignified position, as we understand what God does in a person's life and brings them through years to bring them to this point. So generally, we're talking about people who probably no longer have their children are living in their household, have moved into their 50s. This is who we're referring to when we say older men. They're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and in steadfastness. Let's consider each of these. And you'll note that these are not things that come in short amounts of time you've got to have years to develop these things and no matter how hard I try personally to be these things it's through the years that God seasons individuals that they come to these older years and prayerfully and hopefully they have seen these things develop in their lives by the ministry of the Holy Spirit under the ministry of the word sober minded literally means not drunken temperate clear-headed level That is, the brother or the spiritual father who is not easily shook up when life happens and it happens. We're talking about the brother that no matter what the outward circumstances, they are able to see through it and weather those circumstances to recognize something they've learned in their life that God is always faithful, even in the midst of the pain that I will feel. Their lives have been reduced, as one author has said, to the irreducible minimums of what really matters. Let me say that again. Their lives have been reduced to the irreducible minimums of what really matters. You don't see an older father in the faith who is spiritually minded, just covered with stuff that just corrupts and changes and confounds their mind, but rather they've realized and reduced to the point that this is what I really need, and I've only got so much time left, this is what I'm gonna focus on. That's sober-minded, that's clear-headed. That's with a true view to eternity and what is eternal in mind. And older men are to model this. They're also to be dignified. And these, these words that describe the older man who is to be a model all run together, you can see. But dignified means one who is worthy of respect. And that only comes with time. One who is honorable, noble, a seriousness of purpose that invites honor that you see in their life. And I want to stress, this doesn't mean they have all sorts of education or they have all sorts of money or all sorts of things that we might think as successful. But rather they process life the way God has brought them through it and they have a seriousness about the purpose of their life. And we see it, you don't see a whole lot of extraneous stuff there. And I don't just mean material. I mean the way they spend their time, what they think is important. And there's a dignity that comes because they have been to more than one funeral in their life. Maybe they've lost a child. Maybe they've lost a spouse. Maybe they've lost in some way. And they have a dignity about them because despite this loss and the humility it brings, there is a sense of trust that comes from them in God that you just sense when you're in their presence. And it didn't come fast. It's a dignity that comes with the years. They've experienced things. Robertson McQuilkin said that God planned the strength and beauty of youth to be physical. But the strength and beauty of age is spiritual. We gradually lose the strength and beauty that is temporary, so we'll be sure to concentrate on the strength and beauty that is forever. And that happens in the life and mind and heart and demeanor of one who is dignified, an older man in the faith. The older man is also to be a model of self-control. He is to be sensible, that is thoughtful, literally free of the excesses that can choke out our lives or dominate our lives. It's one thing when a young man is given over to all sorts of various hobbies and things that busy their lives. It's another thing when an older man hasn't learned better. He's in control of passions, balance, not given over to something in this way. And one author has said that one of the most tragic sights in this life is a man who has learned nothing from the years. Sound in faith, love, and steadfastness also is the description of an older man. Sound in the faith very generally means uh, the faith being the faith that we have in Christ personally, but the faith that is the, the body of Christianity that has been revealed to us by the Spirit in the Scriptures. The faith, that thing believed. Belief in God, that He is in control of all these things. He's sound in faith. His demeanor is one of trust in God. He is sound in this way. Yet at the same time, even in his older years, he has a vibrant, continually growing faith in Christ that grows. It doesn't stop. He doesn't say, I've arrived. He's learning. He's sitting in that class with a younger man teaching and learning. Sound and steadfastness, sound in love. Love, of course, was this love that we receive from God, that we receive through Christ, but also it's for others that we have and we have for God. It's it's a demeanor of love that's based in the love shown to them in God. He's a charitable person. Gives of himself and of his things. Sound and steadfastness. He's actively enduring, staying stable, persevering up under the pressures. And you know, the lack of steadfastness we all have seen We know what that does when the generation prior lacks steadfastness. The lack of steadfastness can be illustrated in many sectors of the church. Liberalism and apostasy that come in. But on the other hand, steadfastness can be illustrated and felt in all sectors of the true church as we gain strength from the individuals who have come before us. The faith of our fathers as it builds us in trust and assurance in God. That that God... It's the same God who will keep us. There's a steadfastness in an older man. Really, to be summed up, older men are to have dignity and maturity in order to be models to the younger generation. Harry Turbanville wrote a book called The Best is Yet to Be, and he wrote it in his later years. And listen to what he says. I think it sums it up well. Turbanville says, I feel so sorry for folks who don't like to grow old. I revel in my years. They enrich me. I would not exchange them. The abiding rest of soul, the measure of wisdom I have gained from the sweet and bitter and perplexing experiences of life, nor the confirmed faith that I now have in the love of God. For all the bright and uncertain hopes and tumultuous joys of youth, I would not trade them. Indeed, I would not. These are the best years of my life right now. The way grows brighter, the birds sing sweeter, the winds blow softer, the sun shines more radiantly than ever before, and I suppose my outward man is perishing, but my inward man is being joyously renewed day by day. That's the picture of the older man given to us in Titus. And I would just say to our fathers in the faith, beware of unbiblical Western concepts of things like retirement. A reduction in labor should be expected, we understand this. But if there's any change that happens in service to God and others, it ought to be that they only increase as you grow older. Beware of too much leisure. Leisure can equal self-centeredness, which is idolatry. Devote your time, your resources, your wisdom, your service to the discipleship and growth of others. Make your final years like those of Abraham, Moses, the patriarchs, Zechariah, Paul, and other great fathers of the faith who still labor on into their older years. I was most convicted on this concept when I heard John Piper preaching on retirement. So blame him. This is what he said in his church when he came to a startling realization as he approached 60 himself. Piper says, three weeks ago, we got word in our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out. For one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old, and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed. The car went over the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision, spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ two decades after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away in the trifles of Florida or New Mexico? No, that is not a tragedy. That is glory. I'll tell you what tragedy says, is, says Piper. I'll read to you from the Reader's Digest, he says, in February 2000, page 98. This is what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trowler and play softball and collect shells. The American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream And Piper says, and I agree with him, I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. Older women in the church. Look at verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now I'll spend more time next week when we get into young women and young men talking about the concept of spiritual mothering more but I want to begin it here as the text introduces it speaking of how women here are not only to be models as mentioned or as implied by our study of the men but also to be actively mentoring. They're to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves of much wine. Let's look at these. First reverent in behavior literally means they are to be acting in the sense that they are fitting for holy duty. It's actually a term used for priestly conduct. Uh, Holy in their conduct, suitable for sacred office. In behavior just means the manner in which a person lives their life. Uh, A behavior in the way that living expresses their inner character. So reverent in their behavior. Not slanderers. And the word for slanderers here is diabolus, which you know is diabolical, which is also a word for The devil, the accuser, the slanderer. Uh, Malicious gossip is what slander is. Gossip may be true, it's just not something you should share. Slander is untrue gossip. It's malicious in its intent. Backbiting, scandal-mongering. And let's face it, with more time can come more temptation in this area, especially for highly relational beings, as God has wonderfully designed women. This can be true of anyone that has too much time, but especially can be a temptation for women. More uncommitted time allows for more opportunity to gossip and slander. Not to be slanderers. Not slaves to much wine. Apparently there was a common problem in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, Women, their children were out of the home and they had more time to spend and they drank more wine. They became slaves to it. I like what the book of Common Prayer says. We need more women who are holy and godly matrons. But here's the most important part of the instruction to older women. Actively mentoring young women to live out their calling. That's what we have in this last portion of verse 3. To teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children. To teach means to actively impart a body of truth or express truth. So their behavior, their actions, that that becomes the classroom, if, if you will, of example to younger women who are watching you. But also to train. It's not just to speak forth truth, but it's to come alongside, to coach, to urge, to encourage, to help. Train young women to do what? It says very explicitly, train young women to love their husbands and their children. This is their primary calling. Uh, The primary calling of a woman is to love their husband and love their children. Teach them to live this out in their lives. The home is a vital part of a woman's calling. The home is a vital part of the witness of the church to the world. No matter how degraded the current culture makes motherhood, being a wife, don't buy into that lie either. The way this world will be most affected is by godly households. And I know from experience, the living out, the the day-to-day administration of godliness happens because of the faithfulness of my wife in the home and her devotion to it. The home is a vital part of the church's witness to the world. And please understand that working outside of the home is nowhere forbidden in Scripture, and I'm not saying that at all. But any choice to do so must be taken or made in light of the primary calling. Because no one will be happy outside of their primary calling, no matter how happy they think they'll be by going and doing this or doing that. Do that so long as it advances the primary calling that they have, that you have. How does this apply if I'm single? And that's a good question. I think it's harder, but I think this is what is true. As a single woman, live your life preparing for the likely future that God will provide a husband and children. So your life now is about growing in Christ. Your life now is about maintaining personal purity. Your life now is about developing life disciplines that will enhance your household at some point, that will be that witness to the world that God intends it to be, enhance your resourcefulness for the time that God does provide it whenever he does by his own will. And if he doesn't, he'll give you a special grace that will deal with that as well and to still be productive in promoting this kind of worldview that the scripture lays out for us. Verse 1 of chapter 14 in Proverbs says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. In this vein, there has to be a combination of younger women who are teachable and godly older women who are willing to open their hearts and lives to the younger women. You can start with your daughters and your daughters in laws for sure. Young women, right here in the church that God made you part of, should be the focus of your encouragement, your coaching. You might say, well, I didn't do so good as a young woman. I don't have anything to offer. Well, have you received God's grace, then you've got something to offer. Maybe a lot of it is just helping steer them clear of things that you didn't know at that time. But you have something to offer. It doesn't say here, uh, older women who don't have a spotted past, you teach the younger women. He's talking to the community of people who deserve, who deserve wrath and judgment but receive grace. It's understood we're all spotted. So sitting on the sideline cannot be excused because you don't think you did so well when you were a younger woman. Do you love Jesus now? Has Jesus changed you? Then you have something to bring to the encouragement of younger women who are in those years that just seem crazy for them. Not enough time in a day, too much to be done, too many piles of laundry, too much work to happen, all the things that discouraged you at that point, they're discouraged that way now. And don't forget it when you have the opportunity to encourage them. Host a young family for dinner. Sundays can be some of the most hectic days for a young family, trying to get everything together and the kids dealt with. If you have the opportunity, have them over to your home. You can prepare that for them and show them the priority of serving others that way. Be disciplined in your own free time to pray for and encourage young women. Plan your personal time to spend with younger women. Ask yourself this question. If the younger women of the church followed my example... Would the church of Jesus Christ be stronger, more active, a better witness, more impacting on culture, or would it be more withdrawn, more self-served, and, more, and less committed? Just answer that question for yourself. I could not have been more excited with God's providence than I was this morning when I looked at my email and I got a seven-page women in the church newsletter from, our, from the vice president. Seven pages. I thought, this is perfect. And I started reading through it. And by the way, it wasn't to me. It's actually to my wife when I think about it. But we have the same email. At any rate, I'm looking through it and I thought, this is wonderful. Now, don't ever hear me say that programs will produce discipleship just because they're there. But these are opportunities and touch points for older women and younger women to get together. And so take advantage of it. But what I was most blessed with, and I won't name the person, but there was an interview done at the end. In the interview, uh, the person kind of described how they viewed their calling. And I thought it was a blessing to me to hear what this woman said in our church. The question is, what roles has God given you to perform? For example, wife, mother, teacher, employee, etc. And this sister said, At this current time in my life, God is having me concentrate on the roles of wife and mother. I have enjoyed staying home with with my children and seeing them literally mature day to day. I also have more time to help my husband with projects that he wants to get done. I always pray for contentment that I would never forget what a blessing and privilege it is to have a family to care for in the time the Lord has granted me to spend with them, especially when I acquire the unexpected roles like chief of getting marker off the wall or head of digging toys out of the toilet. There's a contentment in those words that also recognizes a cultural pressure, but there's a contentment in those words. Brothers and sisters, hear again these words. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. The godly conduct of older Christians becomes the model and the foundation for ministry to the younger generation of the church. And my older brothers and sisters that are here, Indeed, you're our spiritual mothers and fathers to some degree, if not our older brothers and sisters. We need your active, discipling impact on the church. The spiritual health of the future generation, humanly speaking, depends on that. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful that you give us your word straightforward. Lord, the only confusion we have is when we apply our own selves to it rather than seeing how it applies and changes and conforms our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be blessed today as we consider your model for the family. pray that you compel my older brothers and sisters to see just how valuable they are, not just to this church, but to the future growth and expansion of your church in this world. Lord, make these years, however many of them you have for them, be the most productive ones of their entire lives. And Lord, help the younger brothers and sisters of our congregation to be teachable Lord that we would see the value the need your desire for us to sit at the feet of those who can teach us so much about your word in what accords what is fitting with the doctrine we teach, we love, that we cherish Lord may this happen that your church would be sanctified and that more people would come to Christ as they see a changed people in this place We pray for your glory and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.